And I'm going to talk about the process of electoral reform. So I'm not going to talk about different systems. I'm just going to talk about how should we get there and what do we need to think about when it comes to the process. And as um, Ruby Sahota mentioned, I did appear before the uh, committee. Um, and I have actually read all 360 pages. Um, and I, uh, in interest of full disclosure, I should probably say that a lot of the things I said before the committee were actually quoted um, in the report. So I agree with those parts. Um, <laughs> <laughs> makes puts me in a rather awkward position to sort of criticize when it's my own research that's being cited. But anyway, um, so I'm going to just make a few brief points about the process, and then I want to turn to where we're at right now. So first of all, electoral reform differs from ordinary legislation because what's at stake are the very ground rules of how political power is distributed, right? So I argue that therefore we should have a higher standard of democratic legitimacy. It's not just ordinary uh, legislation. So that's the first point. The second point is I looked at how electoral reform takes place around the world and in Canada, and I discovered through this research that there are a wide array of processes. There's not one that's used everywhere. We see all different kinds of, of, of process options. So because of that, I suggested that we really shouldn't see any one option as being mandatory. That being said, and this is my third point, I think that whatever process option or whatever combination is put together, it's really important that the process is both seems and actually is democratically legitimate. So then the question is, what is democratic legitimacy? How do we know that we've got a democratically legitimate process? And what I suggested to the committee um, was that we should be looking at three norms or three values. Um, the first one is that the process should be neutral. In other words, it should be nonpartisan. Uh, the second norm is that there's a lot of consultation. In other words, outreach to experts, to uh, groups, to other political parties, um, to Canadians. And the final, the final um, norm or ideal would be that there is deliberation, which means that you have enough time to really think through all the different options and really come to some sort of uh, conclusion as to what is the best option. The norm of nonpartisanship or neutrality, that's the one I just want to say a couple of things about because it's actually a really hard one. Um, it's the hardest one because there's a lot of incentive for the governing party to use process to end up with an outcome that it favors, right? So, uh, so it doesn't matter which governing party you have. So I'm not really speaking about any one political party. I'm just saying in general, that is a, that is a worry that, that governing parties like to choose rules that will entrench themselves in power. And that's something that people in my field are always going to be concerned about. Um, so the other problem, too, with this is that the choice of process, like what process you choose, has a huge impact on what substance, what substantive outcome you end up with. So the choice of process is often as partisan as the actual choice of electoral system. And that's a really important point. Process is not neutral. So what process different political parties choose often has some connection, not always, but often has some connection to the outcome, the substantive outcome that they're actually uh, looking for. One way to get around this, this problem, is to ask that political parties cooperate. Right? So if all the political parties either agree, or if you can't get full agreement, that at least the political parties that represent either a majority or a supermajority of voters uh, would be a preferable outcome, right? Because then you try and cut out that sort of self-interested um, uh, motivation, right? Because everyone has to come uh, into uh, agreement. And, and I, by the way, I should just stress here that I don't think consensus is, is essential, but it is, of course, helpful if you can get it. 
Okay, so let me just now switch to the report and what I think about the, the process, and then I'll talk about where we're at now. So in, I think that um, as, uh, you know, I think the report, as, as Ruby Sahota outlined, in six months is quite extraordinary how much outreach was done. So it really is um, very, very impressive. Um, the number of meetings, the number of expert witnesses, the cross-country tour, um, the fact that um, MPs held their own town halls and issued reports. There were e-consultations as well. I don't think that was mentioned, but e-consultations with you know hundreds of witnesses. Um, so there was a huge amount of outreach. So that was, I thought, really positive. Um, the one thing I thought wasn't so great was this, this self-imposed December 1st deadline. I just thought that really constrained it. Um, it also, the, the whole process started in the summer, which is usually a dead time. And, and so it really didn't really get take off until the fall. And then there was a very short window uh, for consultation and deliberation. So in my view, this self-imposed deadline was un 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 overly hasty, um, which actually the supplemental liberal report seems to have also come to that conclusion. Now on the um, referendum question, uh, whether it makes sense to have a referendum, I know there's a lot of debate about that. Um, my own view about it is referendums tend to favor the status quo. So parties that often, parties that don't want change insist on a referendum. It's not always the case, but that is often, there is a connection there. The other advantage to having a bit more time is that you can build in another process option. So one possibility would be a referendum, but as I said, I've got my, um, I've got some, you know, concerns around that, uh, but there are other things too, like a commission or um, a citizen's assembly that can actually enhance both the appearance and actuality of democratic uh, legitimacy. The thing about referendums, just to go back to that for a second, is that they require a lot of public education, which doesn't always happen, um, and they also require high levels of participation in order to be representative, and that always doesn't happen. Uh, so that's one thing to keep in mind. The other thing too is that um, there are lots of things that have happened in Canada that have big events that have not occurred because of referendums. For example, um, the adoption of the charter, no referendum there. The rejection of the Meech Lake Accord, no referendum. And confederation itself, no referendum, right? So there, we have big constitutional moments without, refer without a referendum uh, taking place. 